0: you
1: ready, eager young space cadets? Me, me. I call a pudding the
0: limit! Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth shattering kaboom!
1: Hey, Matt, have you heard there's new Looney Tunes content out there? You don't say. Yeah, you can find it all on HBO Max right now.
0: Who's HBO Max?
1: He's a new app.
0: Huh. Well, I guess you know what that means. Of Of course course you you realize realize this this means podcast.
1: podcast. And we're back. I'm Jonathan Graves, the host, and with me today is a friend of the podcast and Looney Tunes aficionado, Matt Jacobs. Matt, how are you doing?
0: Oh, fantastic. Uh sheltering alright, uh cooking new and interesting things and finding out that my girlfriend can beat me at chess, which is terrible.
1: Oh, but that's also exciting. That it's ba- ba- it's very partners.
0: nice. I I love having someone in my life who could play chess. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> wonderful. And um have you had a chance to check out any of the new content?
0: Yeah, I was actually able to check out the episode that was posted for free online, which I love that HBO is doing. I like the fact that they're pushing this out on a lot of different channels and a lot of different streams. I thought that it was a little bit disconcerting in terms of the fact that all the animation is very clean and it's very, you know, delineated. And you don't get that, like, vintage element to it that we all know and love. But I absolutely love that they're very much uh, evoking the kind of the original inspirations for these characters. And I especially like the uh, Sylvester and Tweety uh, segment because it really is one of those classic episodes where the dog finally catches the car that he's chasing. And they put a fantastic construction on it in terms of Sylvester going through guilt at actually having eaten Tweety and being haunted by Tweety, who's actually just dusted in flour. It's a fantastic combination of the absurdity and, you know, just the constant vaudeville style patois that really makes Looney Tunes great. I think that they, they've uh, kept a lot of the original spirit of Looney
1: Tunes. Yes, I couldn't agree more, and they have a really great premise with boo at a tweet which is the name of that segment and before we dive deep into that episode which is available to watch on the hbo max youtube channel i wanted to just give a quick uh shout out to our uh our social media you can find us on uh twitter at this means pod on instagram at this means podcast and uh soon on facebook uh, we're going to be doing a group on Facebook where we can do watch parties and stuff like that. And that will be at facebook.com backslash this means podcast as well. I am also in the process of uploading some of these episodes, uh, soon to be all of these episodes on YouTube uh, with video accompaniment. So that way you can have some visuals while you listen to me ramble on about my love for these characters and this team behind uh, the new shorts and the team behind the old shorts and just all around Looney Tune love. Neat. I wanted to tease this week's episode because we're going to be doing something really cool. We're going to be playing a game for the soul of the Looney Tunes. We are basically going to have different descriptions for these cherished characters and see if they line up uh, from both of our perspectives. And that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I wanted to quickly highlight a interview from Pete Brownguard. Pete, uh, Pete is the executive producer, one of uh, the executive producers on The New Shorts. Uh, him along with Sam Register, who is the chief of Warner Brother Animation over at Warner Brothers, they have done a couple interviews, and I wanted to highlight what, it, what went into the creation of this process and what, what they focused on. Um, primarily, uh, their, their piece in Cartoon Brew's uh, article, um, they had a lot to say about the inspiration and the importance of storyboard artists. And that gave me a lot of hope going into this uh, when I found out about it two years ago. That was whenever we first learned that there was going to be new shorts. We didn't know how many. I believe it said something like 200 hours. And I was flabbergasted that we were getting such amazing talent uh, behind these shorts. And the characters, like the designs of the characters just looked on point on the initial billboard that we saw on the Warner Brother mural. And I can't believe that was two years ago. But now we're here. Now we can go onto our apps and watch them. Matt, what do you think is important about keeping it story-driven and character-driven within the storyboard artist mindset?
0: Well, obviously, in terms of a visual medium, animation is so reliant on designers, on the people who... Create the initial layouts and page flows and storyboard artists you know over the course of the whole history of obviously animation but to a greater extent Hollywood and the film industry they are the unsung heroes of development and production because they provide such an amazing amount of context and planning to You know, any kind of animation or film or short or any kind of movie that you watch. I mean, uh, one of the first uh, friends I made uh, when I first came to L.A. about 10 years ago, you know, before the flood, was uh, a friend of mine. I won't say his name, but he uh, eventually became a very successful storyboard artist after becoming... A comic book artist oh wow can okay. I your friend yeah so he uh, basically uh, was able to parlay his love for the visual image so basically uh, my friend was able to parlay that into a career based on helping people realize their visions mm-hmm. which is so integral to any of these, you know, uh, you know, shorts or movies or animations or however you like to say it. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, putting the storyboard artists in the driver's seat is just a very intuitive move when it comes to animation because they really understand the economy of motion, the importance of the visual medium. And I think that one of the main appeals of animations, whether you're talking about the Looney Tunes or anything else, is that it really does appeal across any kind of language or context or background. And I mean, who doesn't like watching a, a coyote chase a roadrunner off a cliff and then realize that he's, you know, gone off it after fifteen or twenty feet?
1: Right. It's it's that timing that is imperative to the storyboard artists, and that's what they control. They control when a character can turn and look at a character and realize that they're in you know danger or they're about to see the greatest uh opportunity to pounce on a victim as possible like it's it's within those frames and the storyboard artist along with the director back in the day was the same person so you had a lot of the the classic tier directors drawing their own things i think chuck jones drew his own his own shorts
0: Yeah, Chuck Jones was famous for uh, spending just hours and hours on the actual drawing board, and everyone talks about that like it's a euphemism, but for him it was literally just sitting there and drawing the characters out time and again, frame after frame. I mean, the meticulous energy you have to put into animation is one of the most appealing aspects of it to me as someone who, you know, really enjoys that sort of contemplative meticulous art crafting uh for a lack of a better term
1: no it's great i i think uh, our listeners understand and and i definitely appreciate the the level of care that goes into putting them in the driver's seat
0: And I also love the fact that you brought up framing, because that really is uh, on the, when you get right down to the bones of it, that's the storyboard artist's main goal, is to make sure that every shot is properly framed, and make sure that the frame in and of itself is telling a story. And Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about here is whether you have an extreme close-up on one character or a two-shot. Or a sort of forced perspective uh, of, you know, one character moving away from another or coming towards each other. And people think that this is more simple when it comes to things like Looney Tunes or animation in general. But it's incredibly more complicated. Because when you're actually filming live human subjects, there really are only so many angles and, uh, you know, swaps and... Versions of the human form that you can display. And I, I know I'm going to catch so much flack for this. And Michael Bay aside, there are only so many angles you can shoot a human body from.
1: <laughs> uh, no, I, I actually agree with you. And a lot of the times in those classic shorts, you have Wiley e. Coyote or you have Bugs Bunny leap out of frame and you just see his feet in the air. And you you have like a scurry motion of him jettison off into... You know get away from an enemy or something like that mm-hmm. and it's that type of framing that you don't see anymore like you don't really see characters leave the frame in a abstract way but we got that a lot back in the day
0: i think it's kind of a necessity being the mother of invention type of situation and that you really did have you had limited time to get these things finished you had limited resources uh, you had a very limited set of backgrounds. I mean, if you look at a lot of the old uh, Wile e. Coyote shorts, you'll see the same backdrop of him. Just Everyone knows that famous shot of him falling into a pinprick in the distance.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: and there's that tiny little smoke clad. You see that it, it's, it's the same shot every time. Yeah, And it's because they had a very good economy of visual language back mm-hmm. then, which they were able to use to a spectacular degree.
1: Yeah. And I am a fan of it. And I, I love that they were able to, the new team was able to look at that and see, see what worked and then apply it to this. Mm-hmm. And so let's transition into uh, Boo Appetweet. This is the first short that we saw um, in its entirety with Tweety and Sylvester and Granny. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is directed by Kenny Pittenger with music by Joshua Mosier. And storyboard artist was Andrew Dickman. And just all around, the talent here, uh, Eric Bauza doing Tweety. I
0: really am as sweet as I would. Jeff
1: Bergman doing Sylvester and Candy Milo doing Granny, I felt. This was an A plus team.
0: Oh! The first batch of
1: cupcakes are done, Tweety! Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy! They knocked it out of the park. It was
0: uh, very evocative. It was very reminiscent of those original characters. They got the dynamic. They got the cadence of the way that Tweety and Sylvester communicate with each other. I like the fact that they had a lot of fun with it. I like the fact that they put a motorcycle helmet on Granny.
1: That was a really fun visual. I yeah. was a,
0: and I was just <laughs> a a slightly bit disappointed because I was assuming that when they transitioned into the living room, she'd just be tearing out of there on a motorcycle. Oh. <laughs> but, they, but apparently uh, gr- Granny has an actual motorcycle that she uses outside the house and just drives to the store. And <laughs> yeah. Apparently she can bring back eggs. Well, while, you know, I, I guess she's got uh, saddlebags or whatever they got. That little anyway.
1: basket on the front, that little like, French motorbike could work with that.
0: I, I don't see Grandma driving a Vespa. I think that she's kind, of a, she's kind of more of a Kawasaki girl, to my mind, and maybe she's just got a backpack. But. That's fair.
1: And here's one just for you, Tweety. Ooh, I love decorating cupcakes!
0: I mean, that's extrapolation, but, you know.
1: I really enjoyed the visual language, especially at the beginning where Granny realizes that the eggs are gone, and then we get a shot of Sylvester smiling with the eggs for his teeth.
0: That was a very classic Looney Tunes moment because it just—it's not only it expresses the fact that he's a devious guy that's got you know this whole ulterior motive plan going on for getting her out of the house. It's also just a ridiculous moment in terms of that's not how anyone eats eggs, (laughs) or hides eggs, or (laughs) hides no. I mean, like, and but the thing is, is that if you actually showed him, like. Revealing that the eggs are underneath his cat bed, that would be not ridiculous enough for Looney Tunes. And I think that it was, you know, it was a nice, very Looney Tunes ish moment when he, you know, gives you this big, toothy grin and he's got ridiculously gigantic egg <laughs> teeth on him.
1: The cupcake that Tweety himself decorates is really nostalgic for a number of reasons, but for me, I thought it was reminiscent of the. Tweety ice cream that the neighborhood ice cream truck brought around every so often. And (laughs) I would always opt for a Looney Tunes figure, whether it be Bugs or Tweety, and it looked just like a melted Tweety ice cream.
0: That's that's fantastic. I'm ashamed to say I always sprung for the Ninja Turtles ice cream pop uh, with those little bubblegum eyes.
1: That was another good choice. Uh, (laughs) I always went for Leonardo or Donatello with uh, the Turtles.
0: I think in my neighborhood, they only had one color of off-brand Ninja Turtles ice cream. And I was always expecting a different one. Uh, But,
1: yeah. What you gonna do? (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I really love the, the specific design work that they did throughout this entire episode. Whether it be the cupcakes or the ghosts or the just a feral nature of... Tweety being a ghost because they have that those weird close-ups where he's like afferal and not even form uh, the form of Tweety, just floating in in air. I love that.
0: They definitely were evoking kind of that uh, little girl from the ring in a lot of those shots, and I do <laughs> I I do like the fact that when it comes to these new episodes, they get to make a lot of stylistic choices and they get to play around with these characters, and obviously we've seen a lot of that in the past, you know. But I think that they've uh, hit upon kind of a happy medium here. And they know exactly how far to stretch these characters.
1: If only Sylvester had a medium to work with. Oh dear. Another ridiculously great Looney Tunes moment is when Sylvester is trying to find Tweety with his hand. And he squishes Tweety's head. And it does that... like. Inverted uh, on the cranium, lifting his brain into like another section.
0: I cut, I cut!
1: Well,
0: what do you know? I finally did it! (laughs) I really did it! I ate that darn
1: canary.
0: Success is so sweet.
1: Oh my poor little Queenia. Oh
0: yeah, I think that there's a lot of that uh, inherent cartoon shape uh, humor to it. There's also the the moment where Sylvester is feeling his own stomach and he sees the imprint <laughs> of the Tweety Bird cupcake in yes. it, and he, you know, he's, he's overcome. He's baffled. Right, yeah, I can't understand
1: how there's two of them.
0: And I'm a little bit like bemused at the fact that he thinks he's being haunted by the person he's been trying to eat his whole life, and it's a very, uh, it's a very neat little wacky dynamic that they play around with during this episode. And it kind of reminds me about how many literary references there are in this and even if it is kind of like a uh in a roundabout way when sylvester first sees you know the quote ghost tweety he was just tweety covered in flour, he says that it's uh oh it must be something i ate that in and of itself is a uh a reference to the christmas carol Or rather, A Christmas Carol. Oh, that's right. And so the first thing that Scrooge says when he sees Marley is, you know, there's more of a gravy than a grave about you. Exactly. And that's one of the fantastic things about Looney Tunes is that it's very tongue-in-cheek. It's very wacky. It's for kids. It's, uh, you know, there's a level of appreciable humor there. But it really is rooted in these very old and very classic stories. Yes. A lot of and
1: Mark Twain, a lot of Charles Dickens. Oh,
0: forget about it. Yeah. It's uh,
1: a lot of pulls from those literary geniuses back in the day. And I know Chuck was a big fan of those and liked to incorporate. I mean, that's how we got Wiley e. Coyote uh there was i forgot the name of the book but there was a passage from one of mark twain's books that described wiley coyote to a t and chuck just drew wiley coyote super genius i like the way that rolls out wiley coyote super genius
0: I think that it really was—like, these guys are—or rather, these characters are a product of the age where they came up, where there was a lot of influence from American humorists. Uh, I mean, you don't get uh, Bugs Bunny without Groucho Marx and H.L. Mencken and Mark Twain and all of those very satirical and uniquely American voices in humorous literature— this is and why in, I have you on the podcast. No, but I, <laughs> and, I, and I think that that's one of the things. And I, I know I was kind of poo-pooing the, the new shorts as, you know, kind of too clean and they don't have, like, that old imagery. But it's very clear that they know what they're talking about and there are a lot of homages to those same kind of source materials in them. And I think that it's a, it's a very good um, sort of... Gateway experience to finding out and learning about Just the soul of American humor, right? Uh, and I think that that's something that you know, you can very easily downplay given that a lot of these cartoons are just about two animals Hitting each other on the head with something mm-hmm. but there is a lot of I mean if you look beneath the surface there is a lot of undercurrent a very classical humor that almost like goes right back to you know Shakespeare and you know P G Wodehouse and again all of those amazing American wits that I mentioned before.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I I really liked the whole premise of Sylvester being haunted by his his longtime uh, nemesis, I guess if you would if you would call Tweety a nemesis. I mean he's Tweety is very happy-go-lucky. I I feel like he didn't see Sylvester as a nemesis. like Tweety saw him as a threat.
0: I I feel like Tweety is a lot more just, you know, doing his own thing. And it, it comes off very effectively when he's flying around and it's completely obvious that Sylvester tried to eat him and he keeps trying to, like, wake him up and saying, like, Hey, putty tat.
1: <laughs> well, in these new shorts, I feel like he is he's being very aggressive toward Sylvester in that he wants to punish him for what he believes he had done, which is eating him. So I feel like there there, there is a bit of vindictiveness within Tweety's motivations being a ghost and everything. I think Tweety knows what's going on.
0: I think there's a lot more give and take there. And I like that. I, I like the idea of Tweety, you know, kind of giving as good as he can take in those things. And I thought that it kind of built to this really marvelous hypothesis where you really do... get At, at one point, uh, I believe Sylvester is scared out of his mind. And his, Yes. Before we
1: get there, though. Oh, yeah. uh, Sylvester grabs a vacuum and sucks out everything from the kitchen. And... and he looks like a Ghostbuster, and then Tweety says,
0: He looks pretty
1: weird, but I ain't afraid of no putty. And that is the type of humor that I love seeing, because in the classic 40s and 50s cartoons, we had these references to movies of the era, and over over time, those went away, and now we're actually able to bring those back for the 80s movies so in this we get a ghostbusters reference and we've never gotten a ghostbusters reference before in looney tunes and that is exciting
0: i like that and it uh it really does remind you that hollywood and you know the entertainment industry in general it's very self-referential and that's not i mean sometimes it can be contrived and sometimes it can be a little bit derivative But a lot of the time, it really does allow the audience a deeper, you know, chuckle at knowing, oh, I get that reference. So, you know, uh, I've seen that and I can reference that. And it really does kind of build on this whole combined language of entertainment that we've accumulated. Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, who doesn't get a Ghostbusters reference? And one of the things I absolutely loved about uh, Sylvester's Ghostbusters attire is he's clearly wearing... Uh, toilet paper rolls with green cellophane (laughs) strapped over them. And I can only imagine that that was just like this extra little visual flair for them because they could clearly just draw him all decked out in like state-of-the-art Ghostbusters attire. But it's clear that this character saw the Ghostbusters movie... Tried to approximate the gear that they had with a vacuum cleaner and the things to hand. And it it makes for a a ridiculously marvelous visual scene.
1: And it ends with that vacuum exploding with all of the things above him. The fridge, the couch, everything that he had uh, accumulated through the vacuum. And it drops on him. And essentially it kills him?
0: the end of the episode took a very bleak turn in that you realize oh there's multiple ghosts because Sylvester is a cat and any fool knows a cat has nine lives. So he's got nine ghosts chasing him around. And it's <laughs> it I mean, and it, it really is just a turn for the absurd, which is very in keeping with the old kind of Chuck Zone or sorry, Chuck Jones aesthetic. It is. He uh, he leaned into the absurd.
1: This isn't the first time we've seen Sylvester's other spirits, though. In Satan's Waiting. He went to hell, and he had to wait for his other lives to join him before he could go into the great beyond underneath the world. (laughs) As there was a giant escalator that took him there.
0: And because that's how you get to hell, and yes. uh, but supposedly <laughs> heaven as well if you um, if you believe in the in the cartoon gods. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but I was just you know that's a really great reference point. You have that history with the character losing lives before, and now you just have it in a aferal sense coming back to haunt him after he thinks that he had killed Tweety, which he had not.
0: Yeah, and I think that it is. It's just another. Uh, reason to believe that this franchise is in good hands that these are people who came up uh, watching and loving this stuff and that they get it and that they're going to kind of keep the torch burning as far as it goes
1: exactly so because this is the first episode that's been fully released I want to give a carrot rating to all of the pieces of it so this short called Boo Appetweet I would give three and a half out of five carats, what would you give this short?
0: Uh, well, as, as far as compared to all Looney Tunes shorts ever, yes. or uh, just all inter- Looney
1: Tunes shorts ever.
0: All Looney Tunes, okay, that's that's a little bit more complicated. I would give it a, a solid uh, three. I, I would give it a three just because uh, the nostalgia factor for me is so much, and the clean and uh, very well done and well executed animations. They did take me out of it for a bit, and I I was always kind of looking over my shoulder in a sense, saying, this looks like it was made in 2020.
1: That's fair. I know that this is updated, so you want to bring in a new audience, but you also don't want to leave out the old audience. These new character designs are more sleek, but they have such a reverence for what came before that I feel like it nails a good balance, and the more that we see these characters, I think it will grow on us.
0: Personal preference all the way. Oh, totally. Uh, I would say three. And obviously, I'm going to uh, check out more of this new series, and I'm really interested in what they're going to do with all these characters.
1: I got to say, I love Eric Bowser's Tweety. Like, his voice is very reminiscent of Mel Blanc.
0: Oh, uh, voice acting, you know. Solid, uh, you know, 9 out of 10. Those guys are... They really know what they're doing. Uh, I would say also the, uh, the gen who did Sylvester. He he got the cadence down flat. It uh, it was a great thing. And I like the fact that they uh, involved Grandma a lot more. I, 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 <laughs> I know I'm fixated on... You
1: can't but, have a Sylvester and Tweety short without Granny.
0: No, but I mean, if you look at most of the original ones, she is in there for maybe... 20 seconds.
1: Depends. And, it depends.
0: Okay. Well, I'm sure... I mean, there's always an exception that proves the rule. But uh, I like the fact that they gave her her own a little bit of visual flair. And I like that they, ex- like, made her a more ridiculous character because that's what Looney Tunes is all about.
1: Exactly. So, yeah. I do love I do love the mo- motorcycle helmet. Yeah. <laughs> that was a really nice touch.
0: I did, and and it, I love the fact that they don't there was no reference to it she didn't say anything it, she just put on the helmet and you know oh well that's um there's an old, there's a 100-year-old lady on a motorcycle tearing around Burbank
1: <laughs> as you know she was
0: it's like the um the little old lady from Pasadena but her like badass cousin
1: <laughs> <laughs> perfect so the episode has a bumper in between the two shorts that we get the longer shorts and this bumper is called Plunger, and it is featuring Elmer Fudd chasing Bugs Bunny with a plunger, and he uses it to suck up the hole Bugs has dove into to get away from him. And the hole disappears. What did you think of this short?
0: This uh, is one of my favorite examples of one of the things that made Looney Tunes just an instant classic hmm. for so many people, which is the. Uh, acceptance and then execution of absurdness yes because when it becomes obviously apparent that the whole is a is a portal to uh Fudd wherever it is bugs immediately takes advantage of that because he like looks over and he's willing to accept this absurd new development and he takes advantage of it and he makes Elmer Fudd look absolutely ridiculous Mm -hmm. and it actually um, if you don't mind if I go on a bit of a non sequitur here it's one of my favorite dynamics in the show The Twilight Zone
1: I don't mind this at all continue Uh,
0: basically the one rule of uh, most Twilight Zone episodes because Twilight Zone is kind of a crazy show um the idea is is that once you buy into the premise and you're willing to learn the rules of the crazy new reality you've entered into, you basically get the outcome that you uh, are w- like either willing or able to create for yourself. So essentially, once you buy into the fact that the doll is alive or that the fortune-telling machine can actually tell your future, or that voodoo is real, whatever uh, ridiculous premise gets Rod Sterling talking to you in the first place,
1: right? <laughs> you're
0: able to like start playing by those rules and get into it to such an extent that you can actually bring yourself through the entire experience.
1: I love that. And obviously, it's Elmer Fudd who's in the Twilight Zone in this short.
0: Oh, yeah, and... Well, it's also uh, just the, the whole crazy concept of this ridiculous portal hole in the first place. If you watch the show uh, short, you'll see how it works. But it's basically Bugs immediately recognizes, oh, this is weird. But it's weird in a way that makes sense to me so I can use it to put one over on this ridiculous kind of pompous hunter which is uh, another commonality of Looney Tunes, is that people who take themselves too seriously kind of run the risk of running themselves over or making themselves ridiculous when faced with the absurd, the unexpected, and especially the humor.
1: Overall, I really enjoyed this. I just felt it was really short. And I wish it went on for another minute and a half at least. You know, like it, A lot of these shorts have the issue where they take one of the gags and they extend it for too long. And that is inherently an issue that is personal to me, I think. Mm-hmm. And I feel like these bumpers have such a great setup that the, the payoff isn't as memorable because it's so short. And they didn't do enough with it.
0: I think there's a lot of uh, legitimacy to that criticism. I also think that it's a very uh, it's a very small needle to thread when yeah. it comes to you know figuring out okay, there's a ridiculous visual conceit or a ridiculous prop or some kind of you know uh, who's on first type of patois we're going to use for these and. Patois, you know,
1: that's such a great word.
0: I, isn't it? I, <laughs> I wish it was used more in conversation. <laughs> but I think that there are a lot of ways that you can like make the joke stale. I mean, uh, one of my favorite... Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, a lot of people's favorite exponents of absurdist humor, um, the famous old troupe Monty Python. Their television show, a lot of their sketches had ridiculous concepts that went on for way too long, and they had other sketches that were about 10 seconds long that just got a laugh, and they moved on to the next one. There is a lot of appeal in that sort of terse, rapid, kind of staccato humor Mm -hmm. that uh, I think is what they're going for for the shorts especially. I mean, you have to.
1: I love that. So that was Plunger, directed by David Gimmel uh i out of five carrots i would give it probably a three
0: uh i would agree with you i'd give it a three if not a three five it's a solid entry i prefer the the short form uh humor
1: and now a quick word from our sponsors acme acme it's where you buy your anvils
0: Ever wanted to fly without wings? Ever wanted a sugar high that kept you up until 3 a.m.? Now's your time, because Acme Bubblegum is here, in four different flavors! And boy are these bubbles strong. Try Banana, Kiwi, Apricot, and our latest creation, Dirt. This product is so strong you could even use the blown up bubbles as boxing gloves. Buy your Acme Bubblegum today. And forget about that ever-loving gobstopper nonsense.
1: For this last entry in this first episode of Shorts, we have Bubble Dumb featuring Daffy Duck, played perfectly by Eric Daza. This is my favorite. Eric Daza does Bugs, Tweety, and Daffy in this, and a few others that we have yet to cover on the show, but we will. And I feel he is... He is... Very close to what Mel, Bro- Mel Blank. Yeah. He is very close to what Mel Blank had set up for these characters.
0: For the record, I would love hearing Mel Brooks' version of Daffy Duck <laughs> because he would be way more sardonic, but probably just as angry.
1: You are and- absolutely right. He would be. <laughs> but in the meantime, uh, we have this really wonderful rendition uh, directed by Kenny Pittinger. And obviously, starring Eric Bauza, where Daffy is wackily going along the sidewalk, finding chewed gum and (laughs) exclaiming that it's his favorite fruit, and just goes to town. My favorite fruit, and uh, what, what did you think of this short? And what did you think of those incredible layouts?
0: I thought that this was kind of like this. I mean, it the Sylvester and Tweety uh, short was very indicative of their relationship and what they're doing. Uh, the Bugs and Elmer Fudd Short like show that there's this You know back and forth kind of Abbott and Costello This was the soul Of Daffy Duck for me they, This is an angry Ridiculous <laughs> character Who does Some wacky thing on impulse Then throws the gum Away and immediately <laughs> Traps himself in this Frustrating Angry dilemma and just is spends the entire rest of the short just being like raging at the world, the gum. Uh, eventually pulls himself inside out, uh, trying to do it.
1: A lot of skeletons in this series. The <laughs>
0: and I, I'll, I'll agree with you that the voice work was perfect, It uh, it's
1: impeccable.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Illuminating. It uh, it shows you this character in the way that only the sputtering and nonsense sounds that you have to evoke while talking. Well, old gum chum, we've had some good times, but our relationship has run its course. You've lost your flavor, and I've lost interest. So, not once it came. I I won't try the voice because I'd absolutely butcher it, but you know that classic Daffy Duck, you know, getting in your face, raging at pretty much anything that moves, (laughs) including a piece of gum, and that's what absolutely cuts to the quick here because it's Daffy Duck. He gets himself stuck to the sidewalk with gum, and he gets mad at essentially a piece of gum himself the world and his own feathers in that order
1: absolutely and there's another literary reference in here with the homage to gulliver's travels where daffy is held down by the gum and a group of tiny people come up with little spears and they're attacking him as if he was a giant and there he's held down the same way that Gulliver's um, was held down uh, which were the giants of that land so that was a really fun reference that they put in there and it is beautifully animated this one has some really great frames of stop and pull animation um, push and pull animation rather and I could not be happier with the design of Daffy he looks incredible I love the layout work, as I mentioned earlier, just the beautiful lush backgrounds. And I feel like a lot of these backgrounds are watercolors. They went back to the watercolor well for these, especially with the plunger uh, segment. But here too, you have brick walls that are just vibrant red, but it doesn't, it's not like a soulless red. It, It doesn't just blandly look like a background. It actually looks like it's layered.
0: No, it actually looks like that sort of classic you know, Art Deco 1940s New York street right. scene would have looked. Uh, maybe Art Deco is a little late for 1940s, but it, it is very much supposed to be, this is, you know, it's Brooklyn. It's the Lower East Side.
1: It's, it's the Paramount lot.
0: Exactly, yeah. It, uh, <laughs> yeah, which looks exactly like those places. <laughs> so, sorry, exactly. Brooklyn. Sorry, world. <laughs>
1: But they, they did a phenomenal job, and I, I couldn't be happier with um, with how this turned out. And uh, just—so for this one, I, I want to give it a rating of uh, 4 out of 5 carats. I'd give it a solid 4, yeah.
0: Yeah, 4 out I of think, 5 carats. I think you're right smack on the simoleons there.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, Matt, I have challenged you to a game that we are going to participate in right now— Where I have given you five Looney Tunes characters, and I asked you to come up with one or two words that best describes these characters.
0: Alright, I've I've heard of these games. I'm I'm willing to give it a shot.
1: And I have done the same, and here is the question that I am proposing. Is the, the violence and all of the slapstick nature truly secondary to these characters? I feel that it is. I feel that these characters, when they show up, when you see an image of Daffy Duck on on a windowsill, you immediately fall in love with that because it's Daffy Duck, because it's a character that you really like. He doesn't have to be slamming a hammer on somebody. He doesn't have to be, like, doing a wacky pose. It could just be him standing there, and you immediately have admiration for him because of your love of, Looney Tunes and his his work in that show. So here's my question. Do any of the descriptions we have written down for these beloved cherished characters coincide with another one of our beloved cherished characters? And if so, we have failed and the violence is actually truly more important. That, that, is the, that is the question I'm posing. Okay,
0: well then, for the soul of Looney Tunes, we got to play this game.
1: Yes. Uh, the soul of Looney Tunes is actually a really great name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we shall now dive into the souls of these characters. So you can play at home, uh, listeners. The characters that we are going to be discussing are Bugs, Daffy, Sylvester, Tweety, Wile E. Coyote, and Porky Pig.
0: I would just like it said that I did not know I was playing for the soul of Looney Tunes. And I, <laughs> I would have done a better job at this had I known that was the case. Okay. And if we don't succeed, we'll cheat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the the classic Looney Tunes way. Yes. Okay. Okay,
0: so uh, which character we start now with?
1: We shall start with Bugs Bunny because he's my favorite. All right. Well. And I think that he is... a a centerpiece of the Looney Tunes collective and if you cannot have your centerpiece stand out then what are you doing
0: well uh for Bugs Bunny I put down Groucho who is very much the centerpiece of the old Marx Brothers but I also feel like it gets right to his humor of his kind of sardonic making fun of everyone relentlessly and being very quick on the draw type humor
1: right and he's derived from duck soup and like those uh groucho films you also have elements from other characters and other films that made up bugs bunny as he was evolving through the years because he did evolve and he had different versions and I took that into account. So some of my descriptions are from the earlier version, and then some of mine are from the later version. I always thought of Bugs as wascally witty. So he is obviously a rascal. He is, ain't, ain't I a stinker? He's going to play pranks. He's going to get um, vindictive when things are done against him. But he's always going to be using his wit to solve solutions.
0: I would put it forward that those all apply to Groucho. Uh, and, I mean, the essence of both characters, I think, is when Groucho uh, saunters up to the house that has the no solicitors sign on it, and he just rips it off and throws it away. Yes. And then rings the doorbell. Uh, I was going for a little bit of an inside joke, which will be pretty apparent in a minute but i think that uh bugs he's got a little bit of a sharp streak to him that in terms of he's not really trying to save the world he's not really trying to you know be a hero he's a clever uh trickster type guy yes and he's not mean, he's not evil. He's uh he's a very, you know, mischievous kind of puckish type of soul.
1: He's very confident. Oh yeah. But I wouldn't say that he's overly confident. I feel like he knows his limits and he knows how to use his resources.
0: I feel like it, he has the uh the blessing of the truly funny person in that he doesn't take himself as seriously as any of his, you know, antagonists or, you know, parallel characters take themselves.
1: Oh, that's, he, a, that's 100% correct. Yeah. He always shows them how serious they're taking themselves and how wrong yeah. that is. Of course.
0: I mean, you know the example I'm thinking of right now. It's the, the classic old uh, opera scene. Oh, yes. Yeah. The one
1: where he's orchestrating the, the opera or the one where he is in the opera. Which one?
0: Uh, I believe it was both. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he has done both.
0: He's a talented guy. I'm not saying he's not, he doesn't have his uh, artistic flair. I am impressed. And, and obviously, like uh, when you look at the whole breadth of the shorts, he's got a lot of compassion. He, you know, he'll take pity on the younger guy and kind of show him the ropes. I mean, I think that he does evoke a lot of this kind of classic Picaro character. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that's... I, I should have put Picaro, but I'm only thinking about that now, and I've already written on the card. No, uh, as long
1: as you say it during this conversation, it counts. So, um, we So, have... as long
0: as we agree with each other, we win the game. <laughs> this is the best game ever.
1: Essentially, yes. <laughs> um, so... Perfect. So that I would say that's a win. That's, that's a match for Bugs. Obviously, you, you went back to his roots, but his you know uh, his personality always shines through, and it comes from Groucho, and it comes from those uh, vaudevillian players. So well,
0: you know me, Jonathan. I'm an old soul.
1: Yes. Um, so let's move to Daffy Duck, and I will start with that one. Um, Daffy has always been an absurdist... But I would not use that as a word to describe him. I would use wacky, and I would use cowardly. Especially in the later shorts, where he was always up for the quickest thrill, but he would never stick around to see it all the way through.
0: I can definitely see that, and I think that you're pretty accurate there. For me, and this is like the punchline of the other one, he's a grouch. Oh, okay. He's an angry guy. I think that Daffy Duck, the one through line to his character from start to end has been the fact that he's got a temper. Mm-hmm. And that it it almost always backfires on him. And it usually provokes a very ridiculous and funny situation for him and everyone around him. Yes. And it, I think that it, there is like a, I mean, obviously, I'm sure there's been uh, some graduate thesis written about how Daffy Duck actually has anger issues. And that's why when they go, you know, Wabbit season, Duck season, Wabbit season, Duck season, it's so easy for other characters to, you know, flip the script on him. But uh, for me, it like, the core of his character is that he is—he does have—he's—he's he's easy to get keyed up, and yeah. it's easy to set him off, and that's like sort of the necessary part of the troop that he right. occupies for me.
1: That is definitely part of his evolution at the very beginning. I'm, and I'm thinking of the short where it's Porky going fishing, and Daffy is just bathing in the pond, and then just goes wacky and crazy and starts interrupting. Uh, Porky from doing his relaxing fishing that is the absurdist nature of Daffy that I love and I feel like they have really, the new team has really tapped into that for these new shorts but you're absolutely right, they brought along with him his anger issues but his anger is different than Donald's, Donald Duck over at Disney, I feel like they have they're not two sides of the same coin Because Donald is always at the mercy of somebody antagonizing him and he just quickly uh, turns. Whereas Daffy, he does the whole coup. (laughs) He is the antagonist to himself and he is his own worst enemy. But it is all for laughs and all for the fun of it. So he is, he's angry, but he's angry at everybody, including himself.
0: Uh, completely agree with that. I would say that, you know, since you brought up the comparison between Donald Duck, it's a very different kind of anger. I mean, Looney Tunes have always had the virtue of being the more absurdist, off-the-wall type of humor. With Donald Duck, it's, it's frustration with relatives. It's being the henpecked husband. It's all the kinds of work-a-day... You know Tedious kinds of things That would get on your nerves And anger you With Daffy It's a completely Different kind of thing It's like The most random thing In the world Can set you off And lead you into This kind of Ridiculous Freak out Mm -hmm. Which You know It's one of those things Where the more you Examine it And go into it The more that you realize That it's a very good Allegory for the human condition
1: Oh, for sure. Which but, Chuck Jones has said himself.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's why these characters are so endearing and why they've lived on for so long. But I do think that it is, when it comes to Bugs Bunny, it's the cleverness. When it comes to Daffy Duck, it's the uh, it's the emotionality and it's how he can get... Um, for lack of a better word, triggered at a moment's notice, and that will just set him off. And they both erupt in equally entertaining, or rather uh, uniquely entertaining fits of absurdity. With Daffy, I do feel like it's the emotion, it's the sheer like getting caught up in the moment. Aspect. For
1: sure. Anytime he gets flustered or the emotions take the, get, the, get the better of him, it's always a joy to watch.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, and there is something genuinely—I uh, mean, that—that's why that—that's almost all of the best America's funniest home videos. It's someone just losing their uh, collective cool. Yeah, losing their cool. That yeah. m- much more family-friendly now than I would have chosen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh... I said wacky and cowardly, and you said grouch. Those are not necessarily (laughs) copacetic terms, but I feel like they describe Daffy to a T, and I don't have grouch on my list. Do you have wacky or cowardly on yours?
0: Uh, I do not have wacky or cowardly on any of my
1: descriptions. Great. We can move on. So that one is not necessarily a win, but it's a neutral a neutral positive, I would say. Uh, so let's move to... Who do you want to go with?
0: Uh, I think that uh, my Porky Pig, since that was one of my late entries. We can, right. uh, we can go on that.
1: So Porky Pig, who teams up a lot with Daffy Duck. It's a great segue. And you have him in certain situations, such as whenever he goes into a haunted mansion with the leprechauns that haunt him. Or you have him just... Being a a good companion to Sylvester and trying to rent at a hotel, like have a good night's sleep, and things go wrong. Um, He is sometimes used as a punching bag, which is unfortunate for the character. But I feel his his optimism is always there. Uh, I used optimistic and naive for my uh, descriptors.
0: I think that I've kind of got on the same wavelength as you because I I get the optimism. I get the uh, sort of fact that he's a character who's easily taken advantage of. Yes. And he is usually used as a foil for other characters who, to one extent or another, think they can put one over on him. Mm-hmm. I think that Porky Pig is the rube of ah. the Looney Tunes family. Yes. Which I think... It does encapsulate the naivete and the optimism. I think we're on the same page on this.
1: I believe so. Uh, that is a perfect word to describe Porky Pig. He, he is a rube. He is somebody that you do not want to uh, make angry, but he is somebody that will always take the punch over another character.
0: He's the Ralph Bellamy of the Looney Tunes family. He's the guy who, who will wait in the cab while his fiancée goes up and chats with Cary Grant.
1: Yeah, well, what's this reference from?
0: Uh, I believe that was a convoluted His Girl Friday.
1: Reference. Oh, okay. His Girl Friday. A uh, film I have yet to see, and it is a blaring hole well, in we'll, my We'll, ta- we'll talk my more film. about that later. <laughs> we'll, we'll deal with that. D- don't worry. We'll,
0: we'll address this. <laughs>
1: So, I would agree. that That is a complete win. We are simpatico yes. on Porky Pig and what we believe to be a true descriptor of... Uh, He's a hinge. He's, so he he actually
0: acts as a, a fulcrum to keep a lot of these, like, wackier and crazier personalities together. He's a very necessary element to, like, kind of the Looney Tunes uh,
1: players. And his entire oeuvre is why he can go to Wackyland. Land. It's only Porky Pig that goes to Wacky Land.
0: Fantastic use of uvra.
1: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, cool. So uh, that's two wins and a neutral. Uh, next, I want to go with Wiley Coyote.
0: Okay. Um, you go first. Uh, all right. I'm using up all of my credits from my intro to philosophy class. I uh, put down Sisyphus.
1: Okay. Explain.
0: So, uh, Sisyphus, uh, as uh, anyone who's had to suffer through one of those intro to philosophy classes, is the ancient Greek king who was punished by the gods by uh, having to roll a massive boulder up a hill. And just as he's about to get it to the top, it rolls away from him, or his foot slips, or he falls down... And the boulder rolls right back down to the ground and he has to go back down and start rolling it up the mountain again only to have it slip away from him at the last minute and it comes down. It's a fantastic allegory for just so much of what seems futile or repetitive in modernity or life or so much of human existence. And this is why Wiley Coyote is one of my favorite characters. Because he has one of the most immutable rules of any character, not just in Looney Tunes, but in fiction. In that he tries to catch the Roadrunner, and he invariably fails.
1: And within that failure, he realizes that he is off the ground. And it's not until he notices that he is, you know, 700 feet from falling to his doom that he is able to fall. And it's gravity that is his ultimate villain.
0: And he keeps doing it time after time after time after time. I don't think there's a better term to describe Wile E. Coyote.
1: I think that's the perfect term. Sisyphus is a perfect allegory for what he goes through, and you said that eloquently. So thank you for adding that to the discussion. On my end, I put resilient, and it's that resilientness that keeps you rooting for him. You want him to be successful in his venture to have a meal, but you also have the joy of watching him fail. It's its so rewarding because of the creative nature of this push and pull of will he, won't he, and he never will, but there's always a little glimmer of hope in his eyes, and it tricks you into thinking, well, maybe this time, maybe this time it'll work.
0: Yeah, it uh, it's like when you're watching Lost and you tell yourself maybe this is the episode where they get off the island. <laughs> or you're watching Gilligan's Island and you say maybe this is the episode where they'll get off the island
1: or you're watching Paradise Island and you're like well maybe this actually they didn't want to leave
0: they, they loved it there it was, <laughs> it was a lovely island I'll, I'll push this one all the way into the end zone here and I will finish on the idea of resilience in saying that one of the greatest essays written about Sisyphus was by the French philosopher Albert Camus Who finished it on the phrase, one must imagine Sisyphus happy. Mm. And so maybe all Wiley Coyote wants to do is just chase that bird and he'll just, he'll order all the Amazon packages from Acme that he needs (laughs) and just keep, keep building those contraptions. That maybe that's what he likes doing.
1: It's not just the Roadrunner, though. Because Wiley has had episodes and sh- or obviously scenarios where he goes against Bugs Bunny. Mm-hmm. And those dynamics change because you have physical force versus wit. And then you have with Wiley and Bugs, wit versus wit.
0: Uh, absolutely yes. I mean, I feel like when Wiley is chasing the Roadrunner, it's more like him versus a force of nature. Yes, yes. Uh, and when it's him versus Bugs, it's kind of a, a battle of wits, as you said. But at the same time, the underlying drives to his character—they never change. He's always oh right after his next meal.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's just—it's just you can put this character up against numerous odds. And you would still have this, you know, want for him to succeed. And I really enjoy enjoy that he's a character that can possess that. And he's the only character that possesses that. If you have Sylvester going up against the Roadrunner, you don't really have that same dynamic.
0: It is one of the simplest plots that, like, the Looney Tunes uh, uh, pantheon puts forward, but it's also one of the most reliably entertaining experiences mm-hmm. to watch these episodes. Oh yeah. And it, uh, it it's its own comedic dynamic, and I think that it just keeps providing such a fantastic product. I honestly I can't wait to see what they do with this character and the new series.
1: Oh no, me too. So because I brought up Sylvester, let's move on to him next. <laughs> He is the obvious adversary to Tweety Bird, and he, he has a desperate nature to him. So that's the word I use, desperate.
0: Desperate. I put antagonist because I think that even more than uh, Wile E. Coyote, than Elmer Fudd, I think he is, him and Tweety are defined by each other. So I think that they've got a link to each other that a lot of other characters don't share. I mean, as you said, Wiley e. Coyote is tied to the Roadrunner. He also pursued Bugs Bunny uh, through a few shorts. I think that they do have a, uh, a link that I could really only define by you know defining them through each other.
1: Interesting. So I feel this is a fail because we have a crossroads here um sylvester has been in shorts without tweety and in those shorts he is desperately trying to be a good father to his son and trying to catch the giant kangaroo that they believe is a mouse in hippity hopper Hmm. i feel the desperate nature of sylvester makes him an interesting character because it's that desperation that puts him through any length to get a simple bird. And if you think about Tweety Bird, he's a very tiny bird. He can't fill a an evening snack, if you will. He is so small that he he would actually um, have been starved the entire time had uh, had he not eat, eaten anything else. Um, you have to have a level of nature about you to be that deprived of something and he has a desperate nature to him that i feel exudes through all of his attempts to go after Tweety, to be a good father to go after speedy gonzalez which he does in a few shorts he has other antagonists and i wouldn't say antagonist is the best way to describe him as you can apply that to multiple characters
0: I would say that uh, one of the things that I love about you, Jonathan, is that you can like capture the humanity and the sympathy for all these characters. And I, I, I'm definitely guilty of the idea that I can sort of write off. Well, that character is just playing that role. That character is the fool. That character is the brute. That character is the you know uh, whatever analogous role you want to put in like the Shakespeare Company but you really do uh, cut to the quick of these guys so thank you that that is a bit of a fail because I failed to appreciate that character I would agree so I'm going to put that over there so we are three and two
1: three and two uh, so let's see where Tweety falls because that would be either a, a full on tie which means that this entire experiment is a failure, and it is about the violence. <laughs> and I, I, you know, like in a general sense of what makes Looney Tunes Looney Tunes? Is it the characters? Is it the violence? If we can't decipher the characters from themselves, it All must right. be the violence.
0: Well, if you give me, uh, I'm going to give Tweety a guess before you say your definition even though it's not the one that I've written here.
1: Wait, are, are you guessing what I wrote?
0: No, no, I'm, I'm trying to get to the core of the character since we are defining them as their own characters and not in relation to others.
1: Got it. Yes, that's the goal.
0: So I would say Tweety, in the purest sense, he's the innocent. He has this very pure, uh, positive energy to him and the majority of the time, he's not even aware that uh, Sylvester is trying to eat him. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, I, w- I would put that as uh, he's the innocent. He's, uh, you know, the Looney Tunes equivalent of, you know, the, uh, the young, naive uh, character who's pure at heart.
1: But different from the naivete of Porky Pig. In a lot of ways. Now, I, the fact that you said naive kind of makes the game over because you repeated a word that I had put for another character. However, I will, I will, I will rectify this. <laughs> because innocence is the perfect descriptor for Tweety and very similarly matches what I wrote, which was loving and curious and babies or children are nothing but loving and curious that's all they know and tweety is just that he is a pet to granny but he is the brains he is he's the he's the cute deniable one of a situation where somebody looks at tweety and like oh he didn't do anything Tweety is the innocent one. Tweety is the one that loves everybody, loves everything. He's curious about things. He's always asking, did I see a putty tat?" Because of that curiosity.
0: I like how much you can play his absolute obliviousness to danger, to the ill intentions of others, to, you know, someone trying to have him for lunch. You can play it for this kind of absurd level of humor In that it's a little bit like the, um, I know I'm mixing mythologies here, but it's a little bit like Mr. Magoo wandering around the construction compound. Oh, yeah. And just, you know, musing to himself about how amazing these elevators work when he's actually on a crane that's taking him up to the superstructure of the building.
1: The best example of Tweety is whenever he is on the pole on the side of the building where a character is dangling off of and only their paw or their hand is on that pole and he starts counting the pities, and he's like one little pity two little bit p- or this little pity went to market this little piggy had roast beef and then he runs out of pities, and he's like oh ran out of pities." <laughs> like that is perfect tweety it's innocence it's curious he doesn't even know what he's doing and, in he,
0: and he has the, you know, unique form of protection that all truly innocent people have in fiction in that they can just walk through all this ridiculous danger and nonsense and nothing bad happens. And they come out the other side smelling like they just came out the
1: car wash. Exactly. Like a bed full of roses. <laughs> nothing is going wrong on their day. But yeah, absolutely. So I think... This is a success. I think because of Tweety and where we landed, I feel like this actually shows that the characters are more important than the, than the violence. The Looney Tunes as a whole can be whittled down to you have standout characters that are actually meaningful to people and they mean something outside of them hitting each other, them trying to eat each other, them being violent toward one another.
0: I think that four and two means that you probably should have done a better job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, one could say I was the one that got us those four over there.
0: (laughs) One could, wouldn't (laughs) one.
1: Um, anyways, uh, this was a delight.
0: No, I just think that it, uh, the question of violence is obviously something that comes up, uh, whenever you're talking about pop culture, if it's, uh, cartoons, if it's video games, if it's movies, I have always had a, you know, you, you try to have as nuanced a view of this as possible. And obviously there is violence in pop culture and media in general and in Looney Tunes in particular, what I always thought is that the violence in terms of you know what these characters do to each other it's an expression of you know their different character archetypes and their attributes mm-hmm. and it's a it's a method of storytelling that is necessarily simplistic for the the medium uh, but aside from that I think that also, when you come to talk about you know violence and looney tunes we've gone so far over the hill when it comes to you know violence in media and violence in movies uh, in all of like the really kind of over the top methods that uh, all sorts of things are portrayed that looney tunes is really kind of an oasis of absurdity Mm -hmm. where you really don't get a lot of, I mean, there's no consequence to any of the violence in any of these Looney Tunes shorts. And obviously it's a regenerative media, so whenever something bad happens to a character, I mean, obviously, even though Sylvester was pursued by the nine ghosts of his past lives, we know he's going to be back back on... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, back next week, given Tweety the business. Right. Uh, and so I think that there is something very uh, calming and healing when it comes to characters so absurd and so off the wall that they really do reinforce the idea that there, has, there doesn't have to be this direct consequence for that kind of hurt and violence. But it, it is a very necessary thing to talk
1: about. I just wanted to give notice that the uh, the YouTube channel now exists uh, at This Means Podcast on YouTube and I'm going to be uploading all of the episodes with some to- some sort of visual accompaniment so you can re-watch or you can re-listen and watch at the same time um, with additional media to uh, and make the process more enjoyable if, uh, if you have time which a lot of us do now as we're not driving as much and there's a need for uh, YouTube to be in our lives a lot more than it is or was, rather. And, And so I am thankful that we have these shorts. I cannot wait to dive into them. I want to do reviews for every episode. And what I might do is a YouTube video for every episode. There are only 10 right now, but I know that they're going to be releasing a second set in the coming weeks. And so if I can get out episodes um reviews on these episodes on the youtube channel before that second wave hits then i think i will do that i'm already looking into setting up a little studio in my apartment and so we'll see what happens there Um, matt thank you for being on the show i also wanted to let the audience know matt you were the one that drew and came up with that really great logo that i'm using for the podcast so thank you for that the creation is amazing.
0: <laughs> oh, thanks, man. It, uh, it was a total collaboration. I feel like it was, uh, you know, you and me both working on it. But no, I appreciate that. Thanks.
1: And I love the little anecdote of the entire process ended where we were at the Hollywood Bowl and we saw the centered circles as they alleviated in front of us. Um, oh, is that
0: what that was supposed to be?
1: Yes Um, And it was wonderful And uh, I really enjoyed the collaboration And I hope to have more collaborations with you I'm sure the listeners love having you on the show As do I So I'd love to have you back
0: Come back I uh, very much enjoy talking about this stuff I'm willing to ruminate a lot more About, you know, philosophy And Looney Tunes And violence versus character And all that good stuff.
1: Wonderful. And uh, so am I. (laughs) I could talk about this for hours. (laughs) (laughs) And so with that, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at This Means Pod, on YouTube now at This Means Podcast, uh, as well as Instagram, Facebook, everywhere on social media. And you can follow the page podbean.com backslash This Means Podcast. And with that being said...
0: That's not all, folks. See all the episodes of Looney Tunes cartoons only on HBO Max.